what we are taught says that God answers every prayer out of his love and out of his goodness. And what you are praying for, though you think it is for your good, is not. And God is so good and so loving. He's going to give you exactly what you need. It's not an unanswered prayer. It's a better answer that we may not fully understand in this life, but it's a better answer than what we were asking for. Are you looking for meaning or a word from God that's relevant to your life? Are you searching for a better understanding of who God is? Well, you're in the right place. You found the Gary Talks About God podcast. This is a weekly podcast that comes to you from the pulpit of Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. The podcast is hosted by Red Bank Senior Pastor Gary Sanders. Now let's get ready to take that walk through God's Word with our pastor, teacher, and friend, Hey, he's that guy we call Gary. Well, today, for the third time, in case you haven't noticed, it's Father's Day. And so uh, I'm going to spend a few minutes uh, examining fatherhood. Now, uh, I know, and I had to go back and check, and I know some moms might be mad because on Mother's Day, I didn't preach on Mother's Day. Although, if you go back to the tape, I did say mothers are wonderful. And we're so thankful for godly moms. So you, you can go back and, 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 and check on that. Dads, at the same time, you can breathe easy, because this is not your typical Father's Day sermon. It's not the typical Father's Day sermon where you get 10 to 15 points on how you can do better, right? I'm tired of those as well. What this morning that we're going to focus on is the fatherhood of God. Last week, uh, we spent time looking at uh, Jesus uh, and God, God the Son, and so this morning with Father's Day, it makes sense to look uh, at God the Father, and I'll give gold stars for anybody who might want to predict where we're going next week. God the Holy Spirit. We did Son. See, Jesus and Son are the same person. Today's Father, the last person of the Trinity is Holy Spirit. So either go get some coffee or review Basic Theology 101. I don't know which one you need this morning, but we'll, we'll do that next week. But the reason we're going to spend some time on the fatherhood of God is because really it's an overlooked doctrine. We don't pay much attention to it. We know it. We kind of think about it, but we don't really focus on it. And here's why. We usually go and we preach about Jesus. I mean, we preach about him all the time. We preach about you know, God the Son revealed to us in Jesus Christ. We preach a lot on the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, how he works in our lives. But then when it comes to God the Father, we kind of just lump that under generally studying God. Right? Does that, does that make sense? When we study God, we would think, oh, we're, we're talking about God the Father, which may or may not be entirely accurate. And there are some distinctions about God the Father. There are distinctions among the trinities. You know, God, three persons, same essence, but distinction in roles and functions. And so this morning, we're going to take some time to examine God the Father. And as we look at that this morning, we're not going to be in one particular passage. We're going to be in several passages that I think are up on the screen. I'm going to read those this morning. And then during the message, we will come back and touch on those. So Matthew 6, verse 9. Jesus is speaking. He says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Continuing in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, 
down to verse 11. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? John chapter 1, verse 9 through 14. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then finally this morning, Ephesians 1, 3 through 10. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on the earth. This morning, as we go through and study the fatherhood of God, we're going to do it through three questions, and I'm going to give them to you now, and then we're going to take them individually. The first one is this, is God the father of everyone? The second one is, how does one become God's father, or how does God become one's father? And then the third one is, what are the implications of God as our father? So let's look at the first one this morning. Is God the father of everyone? Now I know, since the subject is the fatherhood of God, it seems like an odd place to start. After all, if you were paying attention, I just read four passages of Scripture that had Father, if you were paying attention, in each and every one of them. I, I, I hope you caught that. All right. So we got to ask this question, is he? Because at first it seems obvious. But then the more you dive into Scripture, what you actually find is the answer is this. It is yes, but not really. Let, let me explain that to you. All right, because it's, don't you love questions like that? The yes, but not really? You, you know, don't, don't sit on the fence, get off the fence. Well, it's not really on the fence. It's digging deeper into God's word and understanding. So let's look at the yes part. The, the, the yes part is, is, is this. You go back to Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens, and the earth. We understand that. He is the father of all creation. You continue reading Genesis 1, you get to Genesis 1.26, where God says, what? Let us make man in our own image. So God becomes creator, father of man. 
You continue reading that story, and you read in Genesis 2, 7, it says, And then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. Jump forward way through the Old Testament to Jeremiah 1, 5, and it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. All of these passages of Scripture teach us that God is Father and that God created every human being. Every one of us this morning, believer or non-believer, carries in us what is called the Imago Dei. And I just like it better when you say it in Latin, and all it really means is the image of God. Where God breathes into us in verse 126, or where he says in verse 126, let us make God in, let us make man in our image. No other creation. The mountain does not have God's image. The animals do not have God's image. The fish do not have God's image. There is no aspect of creation other than man that carries in it God's image. Every one of you are image bearers of God. And as such, he is the father of everyone. He has created us all. But he's also not really the father of everyone. John chapter 8, if you want to turn there, you can. Jesus is having an extended conversation with the Pharisees. The Pharisees, I remind you, are the ones who know all about God. They are the religious leaders of the day. If we want to update it, the Pharisees of the time, since they are men, and since today is Father's Day, we will, we will modernize it just a little bit. The Pharisees would be the ones who showed up in church in their suit and the ties that are really short. Would be the ones who come in carrying their huge study Bible the size of a cinder block outlined with five different colors. The ones who you turned to, who you went to, to find the answers. They knew everything, right? And they were happy to hold counsel telling you everything that they know about God. And Jesus is having this conversation with them. And in verse 39, they answered Jesus and said, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to him, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the good works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. So here's the question. They're saying, hey, we're Jews. Abraham, who was called by God, who was turned into God's chosen race through Abraham, through the patriarchs, we can trace our lineage all the way back to him. And because he is our father, then by default, we too are children of God. And Jesus says, I don't think so. Because if you were true children of God... Then he says, if God were your father, in verse 42, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear my word. Verse 44, Jesus says, I'm going to tell you who your father is. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in 
him. Drop down to verse 47, the second part. The reason why you do not hear them talking about his words, God's words, is that you are not of him. Do you see what Jesus is getting at? Jesus is making a distinction. And the distinction is between God as Father of all creation and God as, and this is important, your Father. Okay, that, 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 that personal pronoun or possessive pronoun becomes so very, very important. Now, while you may be sitting there this morning going, Gary, I don't quite understand, you actually do. You understand it in this regard. I am the father of Will, John, Luke, Chip, Ben, and Lily. That's all. Okay. Had to make sure. I am not the father of anyone else. There's only six people that can come up to, that can say, Gary is my dad. Gary is our father. There's only six people. Today's John and Bailey's anniversary. Bailey can say it too. Hey, Bailey. All right. No one else can. Jesus is saying the same thing. Every one of us here can appeal to a father. Every one of us here has a father. But we're not father to everyone. And the same thing is true with God. We can all appeal to God as Father of creation, as Father as the one who created us, but there is a distinction between being able to appeal to God as my Father or as our Father, which naturally leads to the second question. How do you move from category of God as creator father to God as my father. How, how does God become one's father? Jesus tells us how. In John chapter 3, you know that passage well, that story well. It's, it's with Nicodemus, who we're told is also a Pharisee. Again, a teacher of the law, and he's trying to, to, to figure this out. And Jesus has impressed Nicodemus. He comes to him by rabbi, uh, at night and says in verse 2 of chapter 3, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus has seen the signs, the miracles, has maybe heard the teaching of Jesus and said, I've heard a lot of good teaching. I've sat under some strong teachers of the law, but your teaching is different. Not only is your teaching different, you teach as one who has authority, but it, it's accompanied by signs. You, you are doing things that I've never seen a teacher do. Now, at this point in the book of John, the only sign that we are aware of is that he has turned the water into wine at the wedding of Cana. The end of John says that if they wrote down all the signs that Jesus performed, there weren't enough books in the world. So that John talks about seven distinct signs, yet there are more that have happened. And obviously, Nicodemus has seen several. And he says, Jesus, there, there, there's something about you. I understand that you're different. I just, even as a teacher of the law, I can't quite put my finger on it. So Jesus, in, in talking to him, says to him in verse 3, Truly I say to you, 
And, and Jesus just cuts right to the point, right? I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? You ever read something in the Bible and just wonder what Jesus' reaction was? I mean, I, I know Jesus is God. I, I know that he knows everything. I, I know that this didn't surprise him, but I, I just kind of see Jesus doing that kind of sigh and rolling his eyes just a little bit. Nicodemus, of all the questions you could ask, you asked that one? Come on, Nicodemus, surely. <laughs> you, you know, but, but Jesus is, is kind of kind. You know, he already said this earlier, you know, you're, you're a teacher, how do you not know this? But he says to Nicodemus again, verse 5, Truly, truly, I say, unless you are born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So Jesus now introduces us. God is Father to all of creation. God is Father specifically to those who can have the privilege to call on him as Father. And you say, how do we get there? And Jesus says, all right, there's two ways. There's two different births. There's the natural everyday birth that every one of us went through to come into this world. But Jesus says to Nicodemus, there's another way. The only way to enter into God's kingdom is through a supernatural birth, through a spiritual birth. And it's through that spiritual birth that makes God your father. That's why we read John chapter 1. Where he said he came into his own so that all who believed in his name, who, who he received, became children of God. Not born of the blood, normal, natural birth, nor the will of the flesh, again, normal, natural birth, but of the will of God. That's supernatural birth. And it happens through the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. So we come to God and we're able to say, God is my father through Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins. And at that point, we are then adopted into the family. It gives us the right to become children of God. He adopts us. Now, we're going to talk about adoption again in just a little bit, but I'm going to spend more time right here because it is critically important. Adoption is one of those doctrines that I don't think we think enough of and in not thinking enough of, we don't understand the beauty of it. Back to my kids. Let's imagine we're sitting around the dinner table. All eight of us. We're crammed in there. And I look. Hey, it's, 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 it's every person for yourself at our dinner table. All right? And all of a sudden, I look at one of my kids and, and, and say, Hey, Ben, today I'm going to adopt you. Well, first of all, Ben's going to think I've lost my mind. Secondly, he's going to start giving me an answer that I'm not going to be able to follow. <laughs> but you're laughing because it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense for me to say that I'm going to adopt my own children if you're my own children. That, that is Adoption. We are not God's children, but when we come to him through Jesus Christ, he adopts us and he takes us into his family. 
That's why he tells Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you can't be part of the kingdom of God. You cannot be part of the family of God through just natural birth. Something else has to happen so that through the spiritual birth, you are adopted and placed into God's family. You are placed into the kingdom. That's the only way. It's the only way then. It's the only way now. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross where we are adopted and made God's children. So Jesus, in talking to Nicodemus, dispels everything about how people think of God as their father. Modern terms, this is what we would say. You are not God's child just because you have been born. You are not God's child because you can trace your lineage back to the founding of Red Bank. You're not a child of God because you've been baptized. You're not a child of God because you teach Sunday school. You're not a child of God because you have the thickest, most underlined Bible here this morning. You're not a child of God because you're always involved in the mission projects of the church. You're not a child of God because of the good things that you have done. You're not a child of God because you pray really well. All of those things are good. All of those things are necessary. All of those things are important. But it doesn't make you a child of God. Nicodemus, your lineage. And Nicodemus was all of those things that I just mentioned. That doesn't make you a child of God. The only way is through a supernatural transformation that comes through Jesus Christ. There is no other way. That's why Paul writes in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so that you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir to the kingdom, an heir through God. Do do you see the progression there? Jesus comes, he, he redeems us under the law. Now that we have been redeemed, now, now we can cry out to God, Daddy. Now we can cry out to God, Father, because we are now a son. And it's only through that supernatural birth, being born through the Spirit, that we can claim God as our Father. So what are the implications then this morning of God as our Father? And I'm only going to focus on four. There's, there's, there's many more, but I'm going to focus on four. One, it reveals the greatness of God's love. The fact that we can call God Father by coming through Christ reveals the greatness of His love. Two key texts in the New Testament demonstrate the greatness of His love. Romans 5.8 points us back to the cross. But God shows His love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Right? It's one of those texts that you've got to grapple with, not the beginning part, you've got to grapple with the end part. You've got to realize that we were sinners. We didn't become sinners, we were born sinners. I said this over and over, you don't have to teach your kids how to sin. They figure it out pretty quickly. But while we were still sinners, while we were still stuck in the mire of our sin and our transgressions and death, God loved us so much that Jesus came and died for us. Second verse is 1 John 3, 1. And it points us again to our adoption. 
And I'm going to use the King James because the King James, the first word in that verse is behold. I like that word. Behold. Hey, pay attention to what I'm about to say. This is really important. He says, behold. What manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are, period. In those verses, you see the greatness of God's love. That even while we were unlovable, God loved us that much to die for us at the cross and then take us into the family. I mean, he could have devised a way for us to escape hell, which would have been terrific. Then he goes one step farther, and he puts us in his family. He adopts us and says, you're now my child. This is how much I love you. The fatherhood of God also reveals the glory of our Christian hope. We have a hope that looks forward. We enjoy it now, but we look forward to it. That guarantees our future hope is not a likelihood, not a, a possibility, not if everything aligns the right way, but an absolute bedrock guarantee. And we see that through being adopted as his children. When the New Testament was written, adoption was put in place so the father would have an heir. They either did not have an heir through natural conception or for whatever reason the father didn't want his child to be their heir. And, and so he, the father, they, they would go out and they would adopt someone to bring into their family to make them the heir. Not just of their stuff, yes, but of their name, of their societal position. So the name continues. And that's what God has done. He, he, he's adopted us and made us an heir, made us an heir to, to everything that, that is His. And we see this because the substance of our inheritance is the glory of Christ. We're, we're going to be being like Jesus in every point. Our, incor our corruptible bodies will put on the incorruptible. And the splendor of this is going to happen when we are either resurrected from the grave or Jesus comes back and gets us. But we know it's going to happen. Our, 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 the glory of our hope. Paul puts it this way in Romans 8, 19 through 21. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits the eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, and hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And we're going to be made like him. we got a future glory that's awaiting us that, that words here cannot express. Remember when Paul gets a, a little bit of a glimpse of it, he says, I was called up in the heavens, and he's like, basically, this is, this is Paul's translation of that verse. I saw some stuff I can't explain to y'all. Because it was just that fantastic. And it's going to be. It's going to be. It's going to be so incredibly amazing. 
And yeah, we can go to Revelation 21, 22, read about the streets of gold, and we can read about the walls and the fruit and the river, and we can think, yeah, I got a pretty good picture of it. No, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. But the, God, as our Father, shows and reveals to us the glory of our Christian hope. It also reveals the intimacy of our relationship. Right? When God brings us into his family, we now have ac access to him. We can now have an intimate relationship with him where we can call him daddy. Where we can approach him. Hebrews 4.16, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in the time of need. And I would go back to Psalm 86 this morning if I could find it quick enough and read some more of those verses where it says, God, we can, we can come to you. You can preserve my life. Be gracious, glad in your soul. You, you hear us. There's none like you, God. You, you're awesome. You're great. And, and this, we can go to God now. We can approach our Father because He's no longer just Father of creation. He's our Father, and He's saying, come, come see me. You go back to the Old Testament, and you see all those pictures in the Old Testament where God's glory was hidden behind the veil, where you couldn't approach Him. You couldn't get near Him. Moses cries out, God, let me see a glimpse of your glory. And God says, you can't see it just yet, Moses, but I'll, I'll let you see just, just a, a tiny sliver of it. And he sticks him in the side of the mountain. And then Moses goes down and he radiates God's glory for four day, 40 days. Right? You know what? We don't get stuck in the side of the mountains. We can go to the throne room. We can go between the veil. And God, the, our Father, is sitting on the throne waiting for us to come to Him. So even in our weakness, we can approach confidently through the throne because our sins have been forgiven and put away through Jesus Christ. He's so approachable. He's so approachable. And as such, God, think about, have you ever thought God is, is, is immediately available? He's always there for you. He's never asleep. He's never distracted, right? Fathers, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm going to raise my hand for you. You ever been distracted and your kids want your time? You ever been busy and, and you didn't give your kids your time? You ever had those times where it's like, hey, I'm getting ready to do something. You can't, you can't come to me. Any fathers like that here? I'm raising my hand for you. God, our Father, is not like that. He is not like that. So that when we approach Him, He goes... Just give me a minute. Let me finish watching the ball game. He says, come. And when you approach me on the throne, I will give you the grace and the mercy that you want. And he just lavishes upon us. But we can only have that intimate relationship if he is our father. But then lastly, the fatherhood of God reveals the goodness of our father. He is a good God. He provides for our needs. That passage I was reading in Matthew, Matthew chapter 7, reveals to us that He gives us what, it, what we need. And Jesus makes it in a very interesting fashion. He says, if your children come and ask for bread or fish, you know, you give it to them. But He says that, that sometimes we come and and we ask for foolish things like a stone or a serpent. Something that would, would cause us harm. 
And he says, you're a good father. You're not, actually in the verse he says you're an evil father, but know how to give good gifts. You're not going to give them that serpent. And you go, all right, Gary, what, what's going on? The point that Jesus is making is sometimes we come and we ask for bread and fish, things that are good and necessary, thinking that's what we need. And even though we're asking for bread and fish, what we're actually asking for is a stone and a serpent. And God, as a good God, can see the difference and see, you think it's good, but it's really bad. So I'm going to give you this instead. I'm going to give you what you actually need. God, as a good father, doesn't give us the bad things he, that we ask for when we think it's good. He gives us the good things that we need. And when I was writing that, I automatically went to a Garth Brooks song. Y'all know that song, Unanswered Prayers? Okay, good song, horrible theology, okay? I, I mean, horrible. The, the chorus, he doesn't get a thing right in the chorus, but I'm going to quote the chorus for you this morning. It says, thank God for unanswered prayers. Remember when you are talking to the man upstairs? Don't even get me started. That's a whole soapbox, but anyway, I'm going to keep going. That just because he doesn't answer doesn't mean he don't care. Let's not talk about the grammar. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Hear this clearly this morning. God never leaves prayers unanswered. Never. Matthew chapter 7, what we are taught says that God answers every prayer out of His love and out of His goodness. And what you are praying for Though you think it is for your good, it is not, and God is so good and so loving, He's going to give you exactly what you need. It's not an unanswered prayer. It's a better answer that we may not fully understand in this life, but it's a better answer than what we were asking for. Because God, our Father, is a good God. And everything that He gives us, by definition, then, is good see this morning that pronoun is so important so important to be able to say that God is our father God is my father it's a wonderful truth it's a wonderful blessing to quote J.I. Packard this morning as we wrap up from his book Knowing God he states for everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctly Christian as to merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. Isn't it an amazing this morning to be able to say I am a child of God and God is my Father. You've been listening to the Gary Talks About God podcast. Are you looking for a church? Well, Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church is a community of believers who exist to glorify God and see transform lives through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can find us on the web at www.redbankmbc.com Also, come visit us on Sunday at 8104 Red Bank Road 
in Germantown, North Carolina. Did you like this podcast? We put one out each and every week, so don't forget to subscribe. We hope this has been a blessing to you, and we thank you for listening.